Welcome to Glimmers, a Let's Sprout podcast. My name is Kelsey. I am your host. I am also really excited for this chat, for you to hear it. I had the pleasure of chatting with Erica, and we kind of dove into glimmers of self, a little bit about glimmers of love and connection, and how relationships have really evolved in Erica's life. It was a really energizing conversation. It left me reflecting a lot on my own experiences and how relationships have evolved in my own life and how I've approached that in the past versus how I sort of approach it now where I really invest into all sorts of relationships in my life and kind of have varying expectations, I guess, of myself and of others in those relationships and and that it's been a journey of kind of finding the words to describe like what I need from people and what maybe they might need from me. And now I find myself kind of surrounded by all sorts of folks who are just know how to love deeply and you're like cheerleading your friends along, but also you're like deeply connected and intertwined with their experiences. So it had me thinking a lot about the various love affairs in my life and my partner and how we've decided to love each other and show up for each other. So please enjoy Erica's story and yeah I hope it leaves you feeling the love (laughs) hello hello hi Erica hi how are you doing I'm pretty good how are you today I'm doing pretty good it's a very chill snowy day it's true it's stormy here and of course this is the day where I decided to make all sorts of plans and now I'm like do I have plans? Like, do people still do stuff in this weather? Anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm really excited to get to know you and jump into various themes of the glimmers of ourselves and how that shows up in our day-to-day lives. But before we get started, I also just want to open the floor to you to give you a chance to just introduce yourself however you'd like and tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. So my name's Erica. I'm a Ugandan immigrant to Canada, so I actually debate this a lot with my friends because we argue about whether that makes me first gen. It does not. My children would be first gen if I had any. I'm a writer, more for pleasure than for income, even though you can't really make much of an income writing for most people. I love thinking too hard about the shows and books I love. I'm always the kind of person who's just like, let's talk about this. And sometimes it's very fun for the people around me and sometimes they're just like, Erica, we just want to turn our brains off. Can we not? I think those are the important things about me. Amazing that you're not first gen. No. That you love unpack things and chat. I'm actually very similar. I tend to be the one that's like, let's unpack that. What does that really mean? Incredibly involved in semantics. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you for sharing. I'm wondering if you would like to chat a little bit about the story of yourself. Like, how would you tell someone your your story, like your arc so far in where you are now and maybe where you were a few years ago, a decade ago, however far you want to go? I think in terms of the story of myself, I have come to realize that as much time as I spend trying to know myself, because I'm always a person who like examines my own motivations, who examines my own politics, trying to like, you know, vet myself as much as possible. Even when you put in all of that work, you will always still surprise yourself because I have been on a journey of not even like becoming a new person, although I have, I think, very consciously since I was very little, built up the kind of person I want 
want it to be in terms of the politics, in terms of how I talk, in terms of how I interact with people. I like to say that when I was a very little girl, I looked around at like all of the women I admired in my life and I just started picking up little characteristics that they had that I wanted to be me at a larger age. And for the most part, that's worked. Like I very consciously started being more physically affectionate with my parents and my family and they responded to that. And so I have a very physically affectionate people with a lot of the people I love. I very consciously started using words like honey and dear. And of course, some people don't like that. And I always respect when people don't like that. I'll say buddy or something instead. But it used to sound so awkward when I said it as a little kid. But as I grew older, it just became a natural part of. And so when I think about myself through the years, it is a very kind of dual thought of I have both built the person that I am now, consciously built the person that I am. And yet every year, even something is going to catch me by surprise that I hadn't noticed about myself. Can you reflect on maybe the last moment where that happened, where you were like, ooh, Erica? <laughs> so this is this is one of my favorite stories, because this is how I started on the journey to coming out as bi. Because I have, I've identified as ace for many, many years since high school. I knew that I was ace. There was a period in which I thought maybe I might be an ace lesbian. Eventually I settled that I'm probably bi ace instead. And back when I was ace, I thought that when I first started identifying as ace, I thought I was completely straight. I was one of those very overly involved allies who was like, yeah, gay rights. But in a very overly invested way, you're just like, you're very involved in this. It was like, it's because it's human rights. It's because it's important to everyone. I'm on the moral high ground. But I also have this huge thing for Lupita Nyong'o, one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. I just love her so much. She's a Kenyan actress, Kenyan-Mexican actress. And she's just delightful. She's really, really pretty. If anyone's seen a picture, I'm sure they know that. But I used to think just everyone loved Lupita Nyong'o the way I did. Like straight women had to think like, oh, she's the prettiest person alive. And my very straight roommate was looking at me like one day when I'd be talking about like Lupita Nyong'o and I was just like sighing over how beautiful she was. And she's just like, are you aware that this is not a straight thing? Like this is gay, I want to tell you. I turned to her and she's like, no, Lupita Nyong'o is objectively beautiful. She was like, Lupita Nyong'o is objectively beautiful. You are not straight. I want to be very clear about that. Two of those two things can be true. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. That actually resonates quite a bit. I'm sure like like TV shows, movies, things like that are often pivotal moments where we're like, hmm, I don't know why that is. Like maybe because it's just a common experience where people are watching movies, they have reactions to movies. And so then you're like, was this your reaction to that? And they're like, not quite. And I guess for myself, it was watching movies and people like swooning over the lead male. And I'm like, but what about Kira Knightley in that film? Like, why aren't we talking about her? But yeah, that's a huge part of my story as well. Thank you for sharing that made me smile. It's always fun to laugh at little naive baby Erica and be like, ooh, very little self-awareness in this one area. Can you speak a little bit to like maybe the experiences or people in your life that maybe have helped shape your sense of self or maybe not maybe hindered shaping your sense of health? Were there influences in your day-to-day that made it easier or harder for you to kind of meet those different aspects of your identity? Well, part of it is that I grew up in Uganda and I love Uganda a lot. And I try not to be overly harsh because of the kind of legacy of colonial laws that like contribute to the homophobia that happens in Uganda. But I do feel like until I was able to leave Uganda, it was very much a thing of, it does not matter. (laughs) 
it does not matter because it's not going to be relevant while I am living here. And so I don't even know that I was in the closet so much as I was just like, this is not a thing that is worth thinking about because it's not going to be relevant as long as the politics remain the way they are and as long as I am in this place where the politics are the way they are. And that is not to say that there is like no people who are out in Uganda. Like they have pride parades in Uganda. There's a lot of organizations working to do good work. I just was very isolated when I was in Uganda. I didn't have a community to lean on or to be a part of. And so to me, it was not worth even thinking about. In some ways, I still feel a little bit isolated from the Canadian queer community. Part of that is being an immigrant. Part of that is being often in queer spaces, the most visibly brown person in the room. But it's a lot more like I have a very close, tight-knit group of queer friends here. And it became so much easier to talk to people about like, hey, this is how I feel about this, to explore those kinds of things. Once I moved into an environment where I, I felt at least nominally safe. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Can you speak a little bit to your your current friend group and sort of your experience in finding other queer folks? And yeah, what, what does that feel like? How did that come to be? And yeah, what advice maybe would you give other youth that are maybe seeking the same type of connection? So I found my current queer friend group through actually one of my exes, uh, who is to this day one of my very best friends. She's a wonderful loving person and I'm very glad that we dated when we dated because they they are going to be a lifelong friend for me for sure. They introduced me to their friend group because they'd had a queer friend group that they got when they moved to university and they all kind of folded me into their little (laughs) huddle and often actually a lot of the queer friends I have I've met through this person whether online or offline because the queer community is so close in Halifax that once you know one person it's easy to know a lot of people but I really love my friend group because they're like a lot of people with a lot of different experiences most of them are Canadian you know some of them are trans some of them are lesbians some of them are bi as well as like I am or pan and just being able to talk to them about I don't know, like, it feels like when you're bi, a lot of people kind of assume of like, oh, yes, you you like guys like a straight girl does, and you like women like a lesbian and does, and it's not quite like that. Like, I love a stud, I love a butch woman, I love someone who looks like they can carry me, love all kinds of people of different presentations, non-binary people, but I do feel like when it comes to men, (laughs) there's a little bit of queerness in my attraction. Like, I feel like when a straight woman explains what her taste is, and I explain what my taste is, you're just like, that seems a little bit off. What are some of the differences that you hear? I often date bi men, primarily, if I can, because it feels like they often have similar experiences to I. My uh, partner, before they transitioned, identified as a bi man. Uh, My ex, I should say, before they transitioned, used to identify as a bi man. And it was just so much easier talking to them and talking to all of my bi exes about attraction and what that's like and being ace and having to negotiate the relationship. Because when you're ace, you always have to be open about negotiating the relationship. A lot of the people I've dated have been at least nominally interested in polyamorous relationships, even though I just don't have the energy most of the time to pursue multiple relationships. But it's a thing of just negotiating what are we giving to each other? What might we not be able to find in a relationship that I feel like is beneficial for people in any kind of relationships, straights or otherwise, because you get to talk about this is what society says relationships would look like. 
and not a lot of people are actually going to meet that ideal. There's a lot of things that we push onto romantic relationships in our society today that we would all be better suited for if we divided some of that. If we pushed for people to have stronger support systems, if we pushed for people to have better ties in their community, if people in their old age could expect their friends and community members to take care of them, I think there wouldn't be so much pressure resting on being married to have someone to take care of you in your old age or having companionship or having friends. I also just like men who look queer <laughs> is the other thing is like the other side of it. Like there's a lot of like, oh, this is high. And like morally there's this, it's also just like, I like men who some people would peg as gay. <laughs> and you know, as long as they're attracted to me, I like it. I like men who play with their presentation. I like men who wear dresses. I like men who wear makeup. I like men with long flowy hair. And like some of that is stereotyping. Of course, not all men who are queer present that way, but I like it when they are not afraid to play with their gender presentation, when they're not afraid to push off gender roles that have been pushed onto them. I like people who are a little bit queer in how they exist. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's layers to that as well. Like you just said, it's in one way, simply what you're attracted to. In another way, what I'm hearing at least is it's common ground. It's like compatibility in the sense of you understand a, a piece of my identity in a way that maybe a more like straight man, I guess, wouldn't really have ventured into trying to understand because they never really needed to or or what have you. But there's this piece of you that is being understood in a way that you probably need in, in a relationship. But then the other piece that you were talking about, which I loved hearing, was this piece around what your romantic relationship really needs to be and how we can foster the other relationships in our lives to sort of fulfill what we've been taught should only be given to us by like this one person or, or whatever. And I've often talked to my friends about this around what are your non-negotiables in, in your sort of romantic relationships, but also within your friendships, within your family, and where where are the negotiables that you can then seek elsewhere, right? Things that you're traditionally told, you know, that's the thing a mother would do, or that's the thing that your partner would do. Is that really in your heart of hearts something that you're needs to be done by your mom, your sister, your partner. And so it was really lovely to hear the way that you spoke about that, because it's often kind of my my key piece of advice I find when I'm talking to friends about relationships is like, but does it have to be that person? Like, does it have to be that person that's giving you that? Like, um, so yeah, thank you. Or even does it need to be like a a one-to-one relationship? Because a big thing for me is that I love children. I love kids so much. I often volunteer with youth. I often babysit for people who like, you know, trust me to look after their kids, of course. Uh, I used to love like looking after my little baby cousins when I was younger. I'd often be the person who'd be like, oh, I'll take the baby. And, you know, I'd sit with them in my room when they got a little bit overwhelmed or when they needed to nap because I just love children so much. And I came to the realization before I even realized that I was ace, actually, that I was more interested in being a parent than I was in being in a partnered relationship. One of my long-term goals became to be a parent. And then as I moved to Canada, one of the jobs that I had was at a nursery. I would be one of the daycare assistants in a nursery. And I realized as I did that, as I did other like child work in the community, for example, one of my friends tapped me to watch children at some kind of political event. I can't remember 
the exact details of it now, but I was just providing childcare while they were like talking about the politics so the parents were able to attend and contribute to their community. And I realized that there's a lot of ways in which I can have children in my life. I can contribute positively towards the development of children without necessarily becoming a parent, especially because it is so hard to imagine being a single parent under capitalism. <laughs> And even, even if I was to become a parent, I would rely on my friends and my community to be co-parents with me. I have other friends who are eventually planning on becoming parents and they know that they can tap me because I would love to help take care of their child. To me, that is just as fulfilling as having a child on my own, is being able to contribute towards development of other children. And so I realized that a lot of the time when we say you like to become a parent, you have to be in a partnered relationship. I realized I can have children in my life, I can contribute towards the growth of children without that at all. I can just do that in community. Some of the people in your life have children and that's sort of how you choose to show up for them. And yeah. And I love those kids. I just love kids. They're just not perfect because some of them are very me. Like I just, I am so much more patient with children than I am with adults. I don't know what it is. I think I'm just like, if you are 20 and you are being rude to me, like you have had 20 years to stop that. If a two-year-old is being rude to me, that's a little bit funny. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's great. Um, I'm curious if, uh, if you could speak to us about um, maybe a moment of connection that you often revisit for comfort and warmth. Um, I think the thing that pops into my mind immediately, just opening up to my friend about what it was like coming out to my mom, knowing that I might never come out to my grandmother, and how I felt about that. Because I think I've kind of always known that I'm probably never going to come out to my grandmother. And with that comes both the thing of like, I am happy with our relationship as it is. I don't really need my grandmother to know a lot about my private relationships and I'm not partnered in any way with a partner that would mean that I would have to come out to her. But I think the other thing is just like, when you choose not to come out to a family member, you are always struggling with the what if of, what if I did come out, they were okay with it or they eventually became okay with it. Like, am I denying myself a possible brighter future by choosing to not come out? And often I weigh that against what I do know about my family, because I do love my family and I do know that they love me. But also I know about like the kind of culture that they grew up in. And I know about like the values that were introduced into that culture by the church. And it's always when I make a decision, I know that I'm making a decision with the best information I have available to me. I kind of intellectualized that decision for a long time. I, I knew it, but I didn't really let myself feel about like the disappointment I had about it. One day I did open up to my friend because I'd been talking to my therapist about it. I just let myself be sad and my friend was there for me. And I really appreciate that. That's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> That's a really lovely moment to come back to. And yeah, thank you. As you know, this podcast is sort of linked to the Rainbow Reads book club. And essentially, the effort is to create space where we can just read queer stories by queer authors with queer people and write. And you mentioned that you're an avid reader. I'm curious if you have any recommendations of books. Oh boy. Honey Girl. First and foremost, Honey Girl is such a sweet sweet story about a girl who finds queer community, who finds 
just love and it's one of the sweetest sapphic books I've ever read. Every time I think about that book, I tear up a little bit. And I always just love to introduce like kids of color, especially to romances between people of color, even if, even if they're not necessarily like both black and black or Asian and Asian, just being able to see yourself in those romances is I think really great. And I really love the way that Penny Girl is just the most kind of romantic, champagne bubbly kind of romance while still being about a little bit of a hard subject because the main character is dealing with burnout and dealing with some complicated relationships in their family. But it's a really, really sweet book that I really love. What is another one? Cinderella is Dead is also another really good one. I love that one. It's a very sweet book. Uh, Legend Born by Tracy Dion is a little bit of a hard read because it does talk about like the historical themes of colonialism and slavery. And the main character is going through a very kind of tough transition in terms of the inheritance that she has from her family in terms of issues with magic and that kind of things. But it's a really great Arthurian kind of retelling that has really interesting characters and really interesting magic and really explores the themes that it picks up very well. And I can't wait until I get the second book. I hope it's, com- it's coming out this year. And is also the only love triangle in a YA book I've ever read that is a proper live triangle, where there are two boys, one of which is romantically interested in the other, and then both of whom are maybe romantically interested in the main character, Brie. And I have uh, made a rule for myself where I refuse to be queer baited anymore unless there is an equal possibility of the love triangle falling into an equally messy thruple. If there is no chance that all three of them are going to end up in an equally bad <laughs> relationship with all of them, I'm not interested anymore. Yes, snaps for that. That's fantastic. Thank you for those recommendations. And what I'll do is I'll include them in, in the description of your episode so that people can find that. And it'll be a bit a little bit of a reading list for our listeners. So thank you. I want to say a big, big, big thank you for not only your time, but also for your willingness to share some lovely stories and parts of yourself with us today. And um, I do want to just give you some space now if you have any Anything burning that you want to share um, that you're looking to maybe bring into this conversation? If not, I will also let you get on with your your lovely snowy, cozy day. So with that, if there's anything you'd like to say, please do. The only thing that I would like to say is it is if you are hurt in a relationship, it is always valid to feel that. But I also want anyone who's ever been hurt in any kind of relationship, platonic or romantic, to know that you were not foolish for reaching out for a connection. Never let the hurt make you feel like you were a fool for trying to form a connection with someone. Because connections are vitally, vitally important. It is never on you for making the decision to try and reach out. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Erica. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope our conversation with Erica leaves you with some nice little nuggets on love and connection and sense of self. I'm going to leave you with a lovely poem that Erica shared with me. And uh, I hope you take it with you for the rest of the day. And thank you, Erica, for, for sharing this with us. Okay, so I'm sapphic. I might be sapphic. I am almost certainly sapphic, but 
Sometimes I feel like I'm just some obsessed weirdo straight girl that just can't tell when she feels love because she's never felt that in her life. Full disclosure, I am asexual as well. I am 99.9999% sure. I think that's the most I'm willing to share because the rest of it is just an essay. But my favorite line is, if I get braces and knee surgery someday, I can say 80% of this body was brought to you by medical science. I've had multiple surgery because my body was not made to standard. And baby, I got ankle surgery. I got metal in my ankle, so we're almost there. (laughs) Oh man, you're amazing. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. I try. Have a good night.